We want to thank you for tuning in to the Indian Run Christian Church podcast with Pastor Terry Bailey. This podcast can be found on iTunes by searching for Terry Bailey Ministries. Right now, let's get to Pastor Terry's insightful message. I share, I share one thing that has nothing to do with what I'm going to talk about, uh, but, but I thought that it was worth sharing. Uh, Will was telling me yesterday I had I had picked up a lawnmower some people were getting rid of, and it looked to me to be a lawnmower that was totally worth fixing. And uh, I took it over to Will's house, since he works on that kind of thing, and I dropped it off. And uh, later, later, uh, Will's son was out in the driveway asking, well, where'd this come from? And Will said to him, well, some people threw it out, and Terry brought it here to see if we could fix it. And his only question was, how big is their trash can? <laughs> it was a riding lawnmower, by the way, just in case, just in case, just in case I left that uh, little part out. Back to the Psalms, Psalm number eighty-nine, and uh, Andrew was on a wavelength with what I want to talk about today. Psalm eighty-nine. How many of you are familiar with the term cognitive dissonance? Cognitive dissonance, a, a few of us. People in education, of course, are familiar with cognitive dissonance. Technically, cognitive dissonance is the mental or emotional discomfort that comes from entertaining two contradictory beliefs, values, or assumptions at the same time. I think this is true. But I also think this is true, and the two things are mutually exclusive, and it hurts my head. Think about it. Cognitive dissonance. Psalm 89, written by Ethan the Ezraite, is an exercise in cognitive dissonance. Now, Ethan, there's, there's a as with many things in the biblical record, there's a little argument as to which Ethan we're talking about. The majority of scholars, and I imagine they are right in this uh, instance, say that this is one of the musicians appointed by David. He was a young man when David appointed him, and he outlived David and actually lived through the reign of Solomon, now is a very old man in the early days of the broken kingdom when the ten tribes were stripped away and became their own country in the north. I imagine that this this is probably correct. So Ethan sees the breaking of the kingdom. The verse that I chose to represent this psalm that Andrew read for you is verse 34. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. And if you read the first half of this very long composition, you find Ethan dwelling on that. How faithful is God, how enduring is his loving kindness, how inalterable are his purposes. He says, I will preach this message to every generation. God keeps his promises. Amen? What God has said, God will do. Amen? 
To borrow the, the imagery that Ethan uses as he goes along, God's purposes and promises are as steadfast as the stars of heaven, as immovable as the highest mountains, and as irresistible as the sea, just to borrow a little bit from the imagery. They don't wear down. They can't be washed away. They can't be held back. What God has said, He will do despite all. And then Ethan recalls a very specific set of promises that God had made to bless David and the kingdom of David and the descendants of David and to bless the world through David, his kingdom and the descendants of David, to strengthen David's arm, to make him the mightiest of all the kings that ever have been or will be on the earth, to ensure that his descendants will carry on in perpetuity and that his kingdom will not end not only for the days of this earth, this present creation, but will continue all the days of heaven. Big promises that Ethan remembers that God has made to David and God will not, Ethan is sure, go back on his promises. My covenant I will not violate, nor will I alter the utterance of my lips. But then if you read the closing portion of the psalm, Ethan says, but you have cast off and rejected him, starting there at verse 38. But you have, God, cast off and rejected what? The house of David. The kingdom of David. You have been full of wrath against your anointed. You have spurned the covenant of your servant. You have profaned David's crown in the dust. You have broken down the walls of protection around the kingdom of David. You have brought his strongholds to ruin. You have allowed him to be plundered. You have made his name a reproach to his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his adversaries. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have turned back the edge of David's sword so that He makes no advances. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground and shortened the days of his youth and covered him with shame. You have done all these things. How am I to reconcile what I experience as ten of only twelve tribes are ripped away from the kingdom of David and they take possession as a separate country of the breadbasket 
of our nation where all the food is grown up there in Galilee and they carry away with the military might that used to be part of our military might and is now poised to act against us as they take with them all the tribute that used to come from those ten tribes to the temple to promote and support the worship of God and that's all gone now. Everything that once was a part of this kingdom and contributed to its strength in ten of the twelve tribes has been taken away and turned against us. But I know that you won't violate your covenant. But I see what's happening. How do I put these two things together? The answer is not real complicated. And Ethan knows it because he said it. If you look right after he talked about all the exalted claims made in the promises for David, which I'll, I'll come to in a bit. He says that the promises included this, if his sons, David's, forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, I'm starting at verse 30, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not break off my loving kindness from him, that's from David, nor deal falsely in my faithfulness. You have two things going on here and they constitute a very powerful one-two punch. The first is that sin always begets its own punishment. Sin causes suffering. Is this not so? There is no such thing as victimless sin. Sin always brings us suffering. And we see it in our day, we see it in our nation, and we see it in other nations around us. For instance, when the leaders of nations seek after their own personal power, their own wealth, the gratification of their lust, and forget about the good of their people, the good of their people ceases to be accomplished, and everybody suffers. We bring it on ourselves. And the further a nation gets... From the heart of God, the more this effect is magnified. Blessed is that nation whose Lord is the God, but sin is a reproach to any people. Is this not correct? And Ethan knows this, that when the people's hearts turn away from God, the nation flounders. That's the one of the one-two. The second is that when a people have forsaken God completely, it goes beyond the natural consequences of their sin and God rains down wrath upon them, which he also promised. And God does not go back on his promises, does he? When David's son Solomon sinned in worshiping with his 
pagan wives, their pagan gods, and building shrines and temples to those pagan gods for the carrying on of those pagan ceremonies for his pagan wives. Right there in Jerusalem, God promised, the God who does not go back on his promises, promised Solomon, I'm breaking this kingdom. Even name the number, ten, <coughs> excuse me, ten tribes to be ripped out of your hand. <coughs> but not your hand personally. For the sake of your father David, I will save it for one generation further down the line and in the days of your son because of your sin. The kingdom will be broken. <coughs> God does not violate his covenant or change his utterances. Only for the sake of David was judgment postponed. Solomon's efforts, futile efforts, to try to prevent the judgment of God from falling were, of course, wasted. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, was a bigger moral failure than Solomon. And judgment fell. (coughs) I'm sorry. (coughs) Thank you. And the kingdom continues to drift Observing this disaster, Ethan, in trying to reconcile these two conflicting perceptions, God's loving kindness and faithfulness and his promises to David against what is happening in the breaking of the kingdom, this feeling of, well, yes, I know that you probably will do something about this, but how about my lifetime? My lifetime is short. I'm an old man, and every man is going to die. Can't something be done that I can see before I go down to the grave? I'm going to tell you, if Ethan had been allowed to live longer, he would only have seen worse. Because the kingdom continued to drift both north and south and eventually it went beyond the natural consequences that they brought on themselves and God sent the Assyrians to the north and a little later the Babylonians to the south and the kingdom failed completely. The walls of Jerusalem were knocked down and the grand temple of Solomon was destroyed and the people were hauled away to slavery in a foreign land And pagans were brought in and purposely planted where they had previously lived in the land promised to Abraham. If Ethan had lived longer, he would only have seen worse. And yet there is a great reconciliation of the seemingly conflicting perceptions. And Ethan was just right on the nose of this too. If you go back to those promises that he recalls God making to David, he says this, speaking 
of the blessings on David through David's descendants. He says, I also shall make him David through his descendants, my firstborn, highest of the kings of the earth. And my loving kindness I will keep for him forever and my covenant shall be confirmed in him. That doesn't strain my brain too much to try to understand what is happening here. The fulfillment of the covenant to David through his descendants, which is what was promised, comes down to Jesus Christ who is of the house and lineage of David, who is the shoot from the stump of Jesse, who reigns on David's throne forever, and who brings David's kingdom finally to the glory for which it was established. And this is always the case. We need to understand this. Promises were made to Abraham, weren't they? And promises about his descendants, right? And God did some pretty great things with and through Abraham, but the real fulfillment of the promises to Abraham come in Jesus Christ. Amen? Promises were made to Moses, were they not? And God did some amazing things with and through Moses in the time of Moses. But where is the real fulfillment of the promise made to Moses? It is in Jesus Christ. And promises are made to David. And God was good to David. Better than David deserved by his conduct. Did amazing things with and through David in the time of David. But the real fulfillment of the promises made to David are in Jesus Christ. This is always what God envisioned. And through Jesus Christ, the solution of all problems. And God will not violate his covenant, nor alter the utterance of his lips. I expect that these days, Ethan understands all this a lot better than he did when he wrote this psalm. The question is how well we understand it. Because we witness darkness And we witness the failure of our leaders. And we see things that bring about a certain amount of cognitive dissonance as we proclaim the goodness and the faithfulness of God, but we look at the dark circumstances that often surround us. And if you think it's dark for us, picture yourself as the mother of young black children in certain neighborhoods in Chicago. If you think it's bad for us, picture yourself as those people who are being victimized and trafficked on our own southern border or left to die in unair-conditioned semi-trailers in the desert heat. If you think it's bad for us, just move to Ukraine right now and understand the darkness, the violence, the grief that afflicts this world. But God has never kept this secret. The world is broken. 
And salvation is salvation out of it. And it all comes down to Jesus Christ. Amen? It always has. And when we experience those things that cause us to ask, well, how can God be good if? If what? How can God be good if my mother has dementia and no longer recalls my name? How can God be good if my cancer comes back? How can God be good if I have to bury my children? How can... Look at what God did in Jesus Christ. What He did for you in Jesus Christ. What He did for the whole world in Jesus Christ, and you will know that God is good and that His promises are unbreakable, unshakable, and immovable. How do you see the goodness of God in the midst of the fallen world? You look to Bethlehem and Jesus Christ took on flesh and came down and lived among us. You look to Nazareth, where he was raised as a boy, but showed himself to be wiser than the wise. You look to Calvary, where he died. You look three days later to where he rose. You look to the first chapters of the church when he ascended and you look to the book of Revelation and you know that he is coming back. Amen? And you will know that God is good and he does not violate his covenant no matter how dark the world we live in becomes, nor alter the utterance of his lips. This is all the security you will ever need that God has acted in Jesus Christ for your good now and forever. We want to take a moment to thank all of you, our faithful listeners, for setting aside time each week for the Indian Run Christian Church podcast. You can find out more about the church by visiting our website at www.christforeastcanton.com. That's www.christforeastcanton, all one word, dot com. On behalf of Pastor Terry and all the folks at Indian Run Christian Church, I pray God's blessing on you and your family.